0: Well, all right, we'll go to a world that's dying his perfect salvation to tell. What a great conclusion to some great uh, worship to focus on who our Savior is and uh, what his desire is. Well, welcome online. We're so glad you have uh, joined us this morning. And if you're uh, here on site, we're so glad that you could uh, be here as well. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. We've been talking about... Uh, What is our true north as a church? We've been talking about our 2020 vision and just kind of revisiting that after we uh, kicked off the year and went through a number of things. I was uh, reviewing where we'd been uh, this year and over the summer we talked about our favorite verses. And uh, uh, we are just excited as we move into uh, the fall, and uh, hard to believe now we're at the winter. November first—that's really amazing, isn't it? Uh, Life uh, does uh, fly by uh, for us as well. Uh, And so we are concluding this year. I want to talk about what really matters, what's important, what is our vision. Uh, A few weeks ago, I said, "What is our whole enchilada?" Even and. I, as I was thinking about this message, and we're in Acts 2, and I'm going to review Matthew 28 in just a second. But in my office, uh, Greg Hurst had made this sign There are no lone rangers in Christianity. There are no lone rangers in Christianity. You know, what I have noticed in the Christian life, sometimes we put too much confidence in the church. We think, I don't know what happened to my kids. I brought them to church, and uh, you know now they're not living for God. Why? What's the issue? We kind of feel like if we can just get them in church, that that might uh, be the factor. And uh, I, I want to remind us, it is uh, what happens in the home that is primary. And uh, we can't just live any way we want at home and think if we bring our kids to church, everything is going to be okay. But there's a flip side as well. Uh, sometimes we think, well, as long as I just do it in home, then I don't really have to participate in a church. I don't have to have other people in our life. And, and that's a mistake as well. See, we need each other. Uh, God designed uh, people, relationships, and we all need to have that. When my kids were growing up and, uh, in uh, Sunday school and children's church, I was so thankful uh, for the, the times in our life that the teachers were a positive influence on my kids. My kids were brought up in a preacher's home. We sought to have uh, devotions on a a regular basis and pouring into them the word of God, that just having people outside of our home that have that positive influence was just so vital in our life as well. And also just reinforcing those values with others. It's one thing when dad or mom says something, right? but when somebody outside of that circle kinda reconfirms and reaffirms those values, how important that really is as well. And then there were times my kids came and they said, dad, this is what I learned today. And realizing that that I hadn't taught them everything. There were things that I had missed and someone else had brought in some truths or some ideas or some uh, practical ways to live out Christianity. So this partnership is vital. Romans 14 says this, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. We all need other people in our life. We can't do this alone, it's not just about what I do or even what happens in my family, but we need to have a community around us to reaffirm those values, to be the positive influence, to fill the voids where we are even lacking in our own life, we've gotta have other people in our life. I think that's why God designed three institutions. As the Bible begins, God designs the family. He says, it's not good to be alone. I'm going to create a family. He put Adam and Eve together, and then uh, he promised them that they were going to continue this lineage through children, and they were going to have families as well. And so that building block of family, traditional family values, is real important. Then in Genesis 9, most theologians believe that that's when government was instituted. He brought in the issues of justice and judgment not to be performed by individuals but by the greater government. That the government is to praise that which is good and punish that which is evil. It's important to have a good functioning government. And just want to remind you in two days from now, if you haven't voted yet, make sure you get out and vote. Vote with intelligence, vote prayerfully, and vote for that candidate of my choice. Well, maybe not my choice, of your choice, right? Okay, because we all feel like we have the right choice. But uh, then in the New Testament, not only was there family and government, but there was the church. God designed the church. Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, I will build my church. The church is not a denominational name. It's not this building that we are in. It's not even the idea of a universal church, some people say the big C church, though we will gather one day in heaven and be together. But Jesus was referring to a local body of believers, the importance of gathering together as a church. He used the word there, he he really rebranded and redefined that word, first time we see in the New Testament, the word church was ecclesia a called out assembly. He took a political term that was used in the day that an ecclesia was when uh, the king or the government leader would send someone to a town. He would say, hear ye, hear ye, this is what uh, our leader has to say, and they would gather everybody from outside uh, of town, inside the business, and they would all come together in this assembly, and they called that an ecclesia. and Jesus said, now that was the political assembly, But now I have a new assembly, my church. And he established this church in Matthew 16. We see in the last chapter of Matthew 28, he gave this church an important responsibility. We we dealt with this a few weeks ago in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spoke unto them saying, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore... Because I have the authority, I am granting this authority to this church, this body of believers, go ye therefore and make disciples. That's the goal of the church. That's the responsibility of the church. It is to make disciples. Now, how do we do that? By going and sharing the good news of the gospel. And when people become believers, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We dealt with that last week. And then today we're going to look at verse 20, which says, teaching them to observe all things. I want you to make disciples by going and sharing the love of Christ, his perfect salvation to tell. And then after somebody trusts Christ, then we baptize them. As an outward demonstration of our faith, of the death, burial, and resurrection, that that's the only thing that can get any of us in heaven. And after we're saved and baptized, we live out becoming disciples by being taught, teaching them to observe all things. And Jesus says, all that I have commanded you. So a church is an assembly of baptized believers who gather to encourage and build up the saints so we can go and fulfill the Great Commission. That's what a biblical church is. We stated it this way a couple weeks ago. When you start a race, it's on your mark, get set, go. Those three steps. On your mark, salvation. Have you trusted Jesus as Savior? You can't be a disciple unless you've trusted him. Do you know that you're saved, your sins are forgiven, and you're on your way to heaven? As Pastor Steve shared, it's not if we get to heaven, but it's when we get to heaven. Isn't that, that was a great truth, wasn't it? We don't have to question, we don't have to say, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. You can know that you're going to heaven, not because you're good, not because your church is good, not because our country is good, but because Jesus is good, and he died, he took our place. That's the most important message. On your mark, get set. Have you followed in baptism? Has there been that time in your life that as a believer, you followed the Lord in demonstrating his death, burial, and resurrection by being immersed? And then third, today we're looking at membership, the importance of a church. If we really wanna be a disciple, as Jesus says there in verse 20, teaching them to be taught is to be a learner. That's what the idea of a disciple is, a follower, a learner, one that goes after they've been taught to live out the truths that they have heard. We live as obedient disciples, telling others and equipping others so they can go. You see, salvation is not just making a decision. Well, I prayed that prayer as a kid. Well, I prayed that prayer one time in my life and, and, uh, you know, just kind of do my own thing. It's not about making a decision. It's about making disciples. That's what's key. So the Great Commission is given in all the Gospels. Matthew, he says, go. In Mark, he says, preach to every creature. In Luke, he says, beginning at Jerusalem, go and preach repentance and then go to all the world. In John, he says, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. And then the fifth time we see the Great Commission is in the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, verse eight says this, but you shall receive power. And I stated this a couple of weeks ago. There's power in Matthew 28, which talks about authority. This power talks about ability. In Matthew, he says, I'm giving you the authority to go. It's not something that our government gives us freedom of religion. Jesus gives us freedom of religion, and he says, go and share this message. That's the authority. But we also have to have the ability, the boldness, the comprehension to understand what the gospel is so we can share the love of Christ. So he says, I'm going to give you this power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses. I want you to share what Jesus has done in your life. What is it that God has done in your life that you can share with other people? If you think, well, I don't know, maybe we need to go back to on your mark. Have I trusted Jesus as Savior? Do I know that my sins are forgiven? Do I have that settled in my life? If I do, then you have a message. And I want you to be witnesses where? Into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So in Acts, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, I want you to be witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon all of these Jewish believers. They go out and preach, and we see Peter preaching. And if you read through Acts chapter 2, this is what he talks about, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's talking to all these Jewish believers. They believed in God. They just hadn't believed on Jesus yet. And he preaches to them the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the message that Peter's preaching. And the Jews gather around and say, what do we need to do? And he says, well, you need to repent. You need to trust Christ, and then you need to follow in baptism, and then you need to take these uh, truths as witnesses into the world. And then look at verse 41. This is a real important verse. Acts 2 verse 41 says this. Then, so Peter had preached about Jesus coming to the world and dying, but coming back to life. Then, those who gladly received his word, they had received it. Whether we use the word received, believed, repent, they all come back to mean the same things. They maybe uh, have a, a little different perspective, but they're one coin with two different sides. Have you believed on Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and trusted by faith Jesus Christ? Then they that gladly received his word were, here's the second step, they were baptized. They followed in baptism. This wasn't something their parents had done for them, but they were already believers. They made a personal choice to follow in baptism And then the third thing, and that day, there were about 3,000 souls added to them. And if you look in the context, he's talking about this body of believers, they were added to the church. They became members of a church. I think it's vital that Christians get connected. We don't live out in independence, but we follow the idea of the New Testament being a part of a church. This family, this fellowship, this body, this membership, they became members. They were added unto them. Then we get to verse 42. And he doesn't just talk about what happened, but he begins to lay out the characteristics of what this church would look like. And if you know uh, the story of our church, next week, 28 years, we're celebrating uh, our, our church's uh, anniversary. And uh, the one truth that I have shared over and over again is verse 42 that we're going to look at. That. Uh, Uh, God spoke to me 28 years ago and said, this is what I want Choice Baptist Church to look like. These are vital attributes that I want for Choice Baptist Church. And so let's just go and look at the New Testament again. And as we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, let's see what it says again. And they, talking about this body of believers, continued steadfastly. I mean, they were continually doing it. They were doing it faithfully, consistently. These are some things that they did. They continued steadfastly in. Here's the first thing, the apostles' doctrine. The first characteristic I wanna give you is that this was a community of truth. Truth is vital to the scriptures. They were united in the apostles' doctrine. Now, we live in an age where Christianity says, no, no, I just love Jesus, doctrine doesn't matter. You know, what we believe is secondary as long as we just serve Jesus and you know, the the idea of denominations has uh, uh, no bearing and and forget about all these things. Well, uh, you know, doctrine divides. Let's just focus on Jesus. But that's not the uh, attribute or the characteristic of the New Testament. Doctrine was very important. You see, what we believe determines the way we behave what we believe is important. The word doctrine just simply means teaching, or even learning. These truths, the body of truth that Jesus says, teach them, remember in Matthew, teach them the things that I have been teaching you. That's why it's called the Apostles' Doctrine. The apostles got it from Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm teaching you what my father taught me. And throughout the New Testament, the apostles gave it to the disciples, and throughout uh, that, those relevant uh, truths were contained in this book. And so today we have the word of God. You see, education is important. We know education is important. The world knows education is important. We spend tens of thousands of dollars every year in our kids' education, right? whether that be in elementary school, whether that be in high school, on the college level. I mean, we pour loads of money to get an education or to educate our family. Sadly, often to the destruction of our kids' faith. We pay tens of thousands of dollars to an educational institution that gathers our kids together and says, and when I was uh, teaching a lot of young people, I went to George Mason University, and the the first class they took on philosophy, the professor said, people say that God made man, but I say that man made God. That's the start of higher education often. And higher education knows if they can get kids to doubt the authenticity of the book of Genesis, in the beginning God, that he's a creator Oh, how can that be true? Jonah being swallowed by a whale, a worldwide flood, all this is nonsense. How could you believe such a thing? To tear down their beliefs. We as a church must focus on the correct beliefs because as those things get torn down, they question the the scriptures and they question the validity whether there is a God or not, whether there's right or wrong, whether there's even truth or not. And our young people growing up in church, going into the workforce or into college, 80 to 90% leave church, never to return again. You see, doctrine is important. What we believe is vital. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Pastor Steve and I were talking this week. In John 18, the question is asked, what is truth? Is there truth? Is there known truth? Or is everything just flexible and uh, uh, open to whatever you want to believe? See, if everything is true and everything uh, has no bearing, whether it's right or wrong, then you can live any way you please. But the early church was steadfast in doctrine, what they believed. Jesus said truth was this. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth. So he believed in truth. John 17, 17 says it this way Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Here's something that I did a number of years ago that I think is a good exercise. Look at how Jesus interpreted the Old Testament. Now Jesus was either a mystical supernatural ignoramus that believed the Old Testament or he was God in the flesh that was saying what he wrote in the Old Testament was true. When the question of divorce came up, and uh, that was a a, a issue that's in the book of Deuteronomy that there was a lot of debates on when uh, uh, Jesus was on the earth and the gospels were being written, and they had a lot of different interpretations. So they came up to Jesus and said, what do you believe about divorce? And he said, I got one better. Instead of talking about Deuteronomy, let's go back all the way to Genesis. And he said, what does the scripture say from the beginning? And he talked about Adam and Eve. Because he believed that there was actually a couple that God created and brought together. He believed Genesis 1. He talked about Noah's flood. He believed that. In Matthew 12, he said, "As Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days, even so the Son of Man shall be in the heart of the earth for three days. He believed that story. Today our kids go to college and they're made fun of if they believe these truths, but Jesus wants us to be a community of truth. They continued steadfastly, first of all, in the apostles' doctrine, they were a community of truth. Secondly, they were a community of love. Look again at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine And what's the next word? Fellowship. Relationships are vital. Now, I have been around enough conservatives, and I've seen enough uh, conservative uh, uh, social media posts or whatever to know that we as conservatives can be so focused on truth that we can just be jerks. Isn't that true? We can be so focused on being a community of truth that we are harsh in our relationships. And that's not how the early church was. They were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. You see, you don't just teach the Bible, you teach people. And if you can't be gracious and kind to people, no matter how much truth you have in your mind, you probably aren't going to be a very good influence. As a parent, you can have a lot of rules with your kids. I mean, some people are going to be more strict than others. If this, if you demonstrate a lot of grace and love, it's the parents that have all the rules, but they don't have relationships. If you recall, Josh McDowell said years ago, "Rules without relationship leads to rebellion." Rules aren't bad. It's just when your kids break those, do you get mad and angry? Are you upset at them? Or do you love them and you correct them for the truth? You see, relationships are vital. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The word fellowship there is the word koinonia. The word koinonia is a reference to uh, the relationships that we're to have. It's all the one-anothers that the Bible talks about. You see, the church is people. The word just simply means community. Some people have gone to this passage and uh, see that they had all things in common. They say, oh, common. That's socialism. That's communism. That's Marxism. No, there's no way. Socialism is by force, isn't it? Socialism says everybody's going to be equal and we will kill whoever we have to. Let's look at how socialism has lived out throughout society. It always brings about death and it always brings about destruction. Or as Margaret Thacker uh, once uh, said, socialism works great until you run out of other people's money. Right? That's the idea there. But the New Testament is not talking about socialism or communism or even communal living. But the word simply means communion. We use the word communicate. To have all things in common or there's an equality. It's the idea of belonging, acceptance, encouragement, and at times even challenging. We love one another enough to correct them. So we can understand our purpose and live out our meaning. This assembly gathered together in unity, having the right doctrine, but also having the right kind of relationships. They continued steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship. Notice what they did. They broke bread together. Maybe that has reference to the Lord's Supper, but it seems to me it's just talking about they had meals together. They enjoyed spending time together. It wasn't just a once a week uh, thing. You walk in church and you're anonymous and you walk out never to see those people again. But they built up relationship. We call ourselves the choice family. We want to connect. They were one in breaking bread. They gathered together in prayer. Look at verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord, see, they united. They gathered in the temple in the larger assembly, and they broke bread from house to house. That's our small groups. That's the connection. It wasn't just on Sunday, but throughout the week. They ate their food with gladness. See, they were happy people. So many conservative people are just onry, We're miserable people. I mean, you know, we should be joyful people in life with gladness, and the next phrase is with singleness of heart or simplicity of heart. All that word means is they weren't double-minded. They didn't act one way in one place and act differently in another place. I remember as a a kid, I would have a, a birthday party and everything worked great until I invited my church friends and my school friends together and because there was a little dichotomy that I would have in life. And now I got my church friends that I acted a certain way with, and now I have my school friends that I act a little bit different in, and now these two groups are together, and you're like, how do you live this out? That's what it's talking about. Are you consistent in your life? Not hypocritical, but have true caring relationships. These people gather together. I remember back in March, Pastor Ryan Sharing, when we had to stop meeting for a while, we didn't know what was gonna happen with this pandemic. We had heard that uh, two million people could die and uh, a lot of changes were happening. And so we closed down church. March 15th was our last service uh, until we started up again. And he said, you know, this is gonna be a very trying time in the lives of people. Because as we step back from attending church and being involved in church and giving to church, we stop that investment, the next thing you know, we haven't been pouring our treasure there, haven't been put our energy with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we've kinda of got isolated. And then we start looking and people have flaws and we start nitpicking and deal with difficulties and. If we're not careful, it's easy just to get out of church. And he said, what's going to happen over the next several years if families and teenagers and children aren't faithfully going to church? You see, nobody intends just to drop out of church. It just happens little by little, little by little, until the next thing, we're just not connected. And how many times have people said, man, I got out of church I can't believe it, five years went by, seven years went by. Maybe it was because they were working so much. Maybe it was because their kids were in so many sports and activities. Maybe just life got busy or they got hurt or whatever. And years later, they're like, man, so many years went by and they weren't connected. Let's make sure that we are connected to the local church. Well, this church was a generous church we're going to talk about that next week they were a community of worship and they shared the gospel to the world around them we're going to continue this passage next week and next week's our church anniversary and so we want to drive this passage home as we're talking about what really matters what's important in our daily life on your mark do you know Jesus is Savior Get set, following him in baptism. Go, getting connected to a local church. Not just being a member of a church, but joining a church, attending a church, getting a part of a small group, and getting involved in a church. All those things are vital. That's what the Great Commission is. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. See people following baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them, not just making a decision, but making disciples for Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to do a couple things. If you're online, make sure you like the, the YouTube page and subscribe to that. If you're here, I shared that with you as well. Go ahead and go to uh, YouTube and subscribe to that so you can see the uh, videos. And we want to uh, grow our online presence as well. If you're on uh, Facebook, go ahead and check in there as well. Uh, If you're online, start a watch party on Sundays and let people know. Go ahead and check in that you've come uh, to church and make a statement. And one other thing, today's November 1st. Thanksgiving is this month, right? And so we are going to do 30 days of generosity starting today. And I hope that you have uh, our social media, whether it be Instagram or, or Facebook. Uh, but go uh, to that site, and today you're going to see a postmate. And I think this is the question. So it's going to ask different, what are you grateful for in different areas? Today I think that it's what smell are you grateful for? And uh, so go ahead and post that. Maybe you can even share that to your own personal site and encourage family and friends just to focus on generosity. And wouldn't it be great if we start spiritual discussions because his perfect salvation to tell is what the Great Commission is about. Sharing the love of Christ, inviting people to church, inviting people to watch the service online, sharing the love of Christ with the community around us so we can live out what God has called us to, because there are no lone rangers in Christianity. We need each other. There's gotta be a place that we connect with, a people that we connect with, a belief system that we connect with, friendships that encourage us and challenge us to live out our faith. And God designed it, not just the family, but being a part of a church. Praise team, if you would come, let me pray for us. Dear Father, I pray that we would be a church that is consistent with the New Testament. That we would live as Jesus lived, that we would believe what Jesus has taught us that the apostles' doctrine and fellowship would reign supreme with this body of believers. May we live it out, not just make decisions, but truly to make disciples for you. Lord, as we see our true north, our purpose, our reason for existence, our mission, Living out our core values and guiding principles. I pray on this November 1st, 2020, that it would center around the Great Commission. God, I pray if there's someone here, someone that's listening that doesn't know for sure that they are saved, that they are going to heaven one day, May they acknowledge their sinfulness and may they trust in you. What you did for us on the cross and what you did in the grave. Friend, if you don't know him, pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and right now I accept you, Jesus, as my savior. I believe you died for me and that you rose again the third day. Please take me to heaven when I die. If you have a grandparent, a parent, a child, a grandchild, a friend that you're not certain of their salvation, let's go and take that message. And If you've just trusted him, tell somebody around you, let them know.